And Lord, as we close out this letter, and Paul shares his final thoughts, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we pray that it will speak to us, minister to us, build us up in the faith, strengthen us, give us some hope, encourage us tonight. And we thank you for your word. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, I open my heart to your word tonight. Speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, sometimes the final thoughts are the best thoughts. Amen. Well, it's uh, raining out there. It took Kathy and I. We had to go way the back way to get off of 35 because you couldn't get here on 35. Um. 35 needs to be fixed. Well, anyway, that's, that's not Bible. But 35 is my testing ground. Amen? It tests my faith, especially when it's raining. It's like everybody just goes to a crawl, and you have to go to a crawl with them. Have you ever wished that you had a button you could push and helicopter wings came up, blades came up? Have you ever had that fantasy where you could just push the button and just, just lift off? And Well, I had that one tonight. All right. <clears throat> Good to have all of you. Let's, let's look at Ephesians now. And Paul, oh, by the way, can I just digress for a second? Today is mine and Kathy's 37th anniversary. Yeah. Can you believe that? And uh, January 21st, 1978, there was the ice storm of all ice storms hit Dallas. And that's the environment. That's the context we got married in. Half our... Uh, more than half the people we invited couldn't make it because it was solid ice. My dad barely made it, but we got married. So that's it's 37. How many of you weren't even born when we got married? I don't want to see it. God bless you. All righty. So now let's look at uh, Paul's final thoughts. Now, last time we looked at the reality of spiritual warfare. How many of you know it's a reality? Spiritual warfare. And the need of putting on the armor of God each and every day. Now, as we close Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we're going to look at his final thoughts, which are rich and instructive. As a matter of fact, when I read Ephesians or I read Colossians or any of the what we call in seminary Pauline letters, I love the last things he said because he always deals with you, teaches practical little nuggets uh, at the very end. And I just have always loved it. It's kind of like reading the Proverbs a little bit. But now, let's look at his final thoughts. Having exhorted his readers to pray for all the saints. Remember ending on that last time? That we should always be in prayer? Now he requests specific prayer for himself. So can you say with me, if Paul needed prayer, then where am I? Because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But he said, look what he said. Pray also for me, he writes to the Ephesians, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will, how, everybody? Fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So look at what he's praying for here. If prayer weren't really that important, He would not be urging it so strongly, especially attaching it to the very end of the armor of God. On the very end of the armor of God, he says, now remember, praying always with all prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
And now he's saying, and, and while you're in prayer, pray for your apostle. Pray for your father in the faith. Pray for your leader. I hope all of you pray for me. If you don't pray for me, pray for me. Because, you know, we tend to look at the people up there and they say, well, they don't really need our prayers because they're strong in the Lord. They don't really, oh, contrary. Listen, it's the leadership the devil attacks. So never forget, I'll ask you, pray for me. Pray for Kathy. Pray for our home. Pray that God strengthens us because we need it. I'll say it with Paul. We need it. And uh, so don't forget to do it. So Paul is saying, just because I'm the mighty apostle, don't think I don't need prayer. I do. And so he longs for their prayers for him, knowing that the prayers of the saints empower him for ministry. The prayers of the saints enable him and bring strength to him and help him. Specifically, he, he, he wants this. He wants fearlessness. He wants boldness. He wants to walk in a state of boldness. He wants confidence. He wants Courage, confidence, boldness, frankness, especially in the presence of people of high rank. He said, you know, when I get in front of who's who's, when I get in front of the Caesars and, you know, the Herods and the the government leaders, I'm asking you, Ephesians, to pray for me that I will not wimp out, that I won't choke. But I will boldly declare Christ. I really do believe that what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the West needs right now is this kind of boldness. This kind of boldness. We're we're looking at a nation that just seems to me to be without a spine. It just seems to be spineless. It's like nobody will take a stand for anything to to cover their own backsides. But you know what? Take a stand. God will cover your backside. So here Paul is saying... I want confidence. I want courage. And and he's admitting it's not going to come just from me, Paul. It's not going to come from my flesh. It's going to come from God. God gives us boldness. God strengthens us. God empowers us. All right? We got to remember that. We, We walk by faith, not by sight. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So over and over again, this man, Paul, this brilliant scholar, this anointed apostle says, I know where everything I have in my spiritual weaponry comes from. It does not come from me, including boldness. So he said, pray for me. Paul is in prison for preaching in Jerusalem. And on every occasion afterward in which he appeared before those who had the power to release him, he asked for prayers that he will not slack off and compromise with fear as he awaits trial in Rome. So he's saying, pray for me that I'll stand for Jesus instead of compromising just to get out of jail. Now, I wonder how many of us would compromise the message to get out of jail, especially an old first century Roman jail, which was hideous, terrible, awful. It was a pit in the ground, a pit in the ground. It was not Tarrant County Jail. Though that's horrible. Any jail is horrible to me. But this was a, this was a pit in the ground. You, you walked down into it. It was a dungeon. It stank. It was cold. It was lonely. You didn't get three squares a day. So I wonder how many of us would, would say, Lord, 
gee, I, I just think you'll understand if I compromise and sort of soft pedal this thing to get out. Some of you, including me, may get to find out one day if America keeps going the way it's going. There are pastors in Canada, there's been a couple in America that have been jailed for preaching the word of God. Imagine. So it could be coming our way. I wonder how thin the ranks will get in the church if persecution really gets red hot. I wonder how many will soft shoe the message of the gospel and say, oh, you know, God will understand if I don't preach this and this and this. Because it's right now getting to the point where if you tell people they're lost or you tell people they're sinners, it can be called hate crime. It's insane. It's the devil. Now, this same kind of courage is found in Peter and John, isn't it? Weren't they just marked by boldness? The, the, the same Simon Peter that shrank from that little girl at the campfire where Jesus was taken to be arrested? Arrested and taken, where the kangaroo court was trying him, and Peter was in the outer court, and he's warming his hands at the fire, and that little girl said, you were with him, and he denied Christ three times. But when the Holy Ghost anointing came upon Simon Peter, he turned from a lamb into a lion. And God gave him boldness, all right? So even when their preaching caused their imprisonment, after their release, they boldly prayed. I love this prayer. Let's pray together. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Same prayer. Look at that. Same prayer that Paul prayed, Peter prayed, John prayed, they all prayed, and they walked in the anointing of boldness. If Paul needed to ask for prayer that he might be faithful to fight the good fight of faith at his trial in front of Caesar, how much more should we pray for one another to not only survive and hold our own, but to be fearless in the face of opposition? Because, you know, when he stood before Rome and he gave his defense, every single solitary Christian in Asia forsook him. They all walked away. Not one of his children in the faith stayed with him. They all shrank back. When he went before the big boy, when he went before Caesar, they all said, you know, Paul, been real, we're praying for you. But we're not going to be there standing in, in the court with you, lest they look at us and grab us for being with you. And he says, all those in Asia forsook me. But then he makes the triumphal statement, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that I might fully preach the message that God had given me to preach. And then he prayed. He said, I pray that God doesn't hold it to their charge. I pray that God does not make them answer for walking out on me when I needed them. Well, so boldness was a real issue in the early church. You either had it or you didn't. And if you had it, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have got some good boldness in here? Let me see. If, if you're a pretty bold person with Christ, raise your hand. The rest of you, I pray this anointing comes on you. I really do. I, I pray it's on me. Pray for me that I have it. Because there's times I'm out there and I'll think, I, I don't want to say anything right now. I'm tired. I've got my mind on other things and Besides, what would they think? And as soon as I think the thought, what would they think? I know I'm in trouble and I need to shake it off and be bold. Because I shouldn't care what they think. I should care what he thinks. Amen? So, they pray to be fearless in the face of opposition. Now, we help one another through prayer. We help one another through prayer. 
So I hope you're praying for your brethren here, and I hope you're praying for me, and I hope you're praying for yourself. I hope you have a prayer life. You don't have to be, you know, some three-hour-a-day intercessor. Just when you think of it, pray. You can pray driving down the highway. You can pray in the office, silently, quietly, unless you get fired. You, 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 can, you can pray anywhere, anytime. That's a good thing about prayer. You can pray. And, and when the Holy Spirit brings to your mind somebody, lift them up and pray for them. Because we help one another through prayer. Now, our natural tendency is to avoid pain and persecution. I know it's my tendency. But when we're going through our most difficult struggles, guess what happens? People are watching us most closely to see whether our faith is real or if we are just fair-weather Christians or it's all just talk with no substance. When you're going through that fire, when your coworkers know you're going through something and they know that you have told them you're a Christian, they, they're going to watch you to see what good your faith does you in the valley. They're going to watch for that. And if they see you maintaining your composure, walking in peace, yes, being troubled, yes, hurting, yes, having pain, we're not Superman, but nevertheless going through it with a sense of peace and serenity that God is in charge, they see that. I know it's an old saying, But here it is anyway. You're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. You're the Bible that people read, and so am I. So I have to always remind myself out in public, um, all right, Jeff, remember who you are and whose you are. Let me give you an example. I'm at Starbucks this week, and where, where I tend to go. You know that. Because I believe God created coffee on the eighth day. He spent the whole day on it. No, I'm just kidding. I I was at Starbucks, and I was meeting a pastor. Now, me and this pastor had had never met in person. Uh, He had been here to speak, but I'd never met him. So I uh, uh, met him there, and we were having a great talk. And, you know, we were in casual clothes, and I think I was in a jogging suit. we're, We're just sitting there talking about the things of God, talking about church. And all of a sudden, this woman comes out of nowhere and walks up and just leans right into us. And says, I want you to know, I really enjoy you on the radio. And I said, do I know you? And she said, no, but I heard you talking. And I said, that has to be him. So I turned to this pastor. (laughs) Now, you're going to think this is kind of crude. I was just joking with him. I said, man, I got to really stop cussing. Kidding, 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 kidding. But you know what I mean. Because my voice carries, and here's this woman out of nowhere. I've never seen her in my life. Because you know what? You are always being watched by the lost. So let them read good things. You know, walk in peace. Walk with the Lord. Just get up in the morning and get with him, and then go walk with him all day long. Because it's like... It's, it's just like moths to a light bulb when you're really filled with the Spirit. They'll begin to sense it on you. Okay? They know there's a difference. I'm telling you, they know there's a difference. Well, Pastor Jeff, nobody ever notices me. They'll notice Jesus in you. They really will. Oh, I'm in another Starbucks. Get this. Starbucks ought to give me a year of free coffee because this is going out on the radio. I'm in another Starbucks, and I've just ordered a coffee, and I sit down at a table. 
and I'm at a table by myself, and I'm just drinking this coffee, and a man walks up and hands me a glass of water. And I'd never seen him in my life. So, of course, I said, thank you, but what is this? And do I know you? And he said, no. But he said, but are you on the radio? And I said, well, yes. And he said, I thought so. I heard you order the coffee. <laughs> and he said, I drive a UPS truck. And I listen to you every day. And he said, I, he said when I was sure it was you, I want to give you a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord. So there you go. So I, I just want you, I'm, I'm just telling you that everywhere you go, people are watching you, especially if they know you're a believer, and I hope they know. Amen. Go ahead and come out of the closet. Everybody else is. Why don't you? Seriously. None of this was planned tonight. You, this is not on my stuff, but it's all free. Now, say with me, God gives us boldness rather than a wimpy faith. Can you tell your neighbor, I don't have a wimpy faith and neither do you? That's right. Now, I want to point out how Paul identifies himself as an ambassador in chains before we move on. The, the word here is presbuo, presbuo, meaning to be an ambassador or an envoy or to travel or work as an ambassador. See, you're a, a heavenly rep. An ambassador is a representative. And as soon as you are his, he anoints you and appoints you to be a rep. You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. For no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. But he puts it on a, on a tabletop where it lights up the whole room. So you let your light shine because you're a heavenly representative. You're an ambassador, a presbuo. You're an ambassador. It, the, the word is powerful. It, it refers to somebody who acts as an emissary, transmitting messages or negotiations on behalf of another. That's you. That's me. We have been called to that. That's, that's what God has graced every believer to do. Not everybody in here is an evangelist. Most of you in here are not called to full-time ministry. That is where it's your bread and butter. But you are called to be a full-time witness. And isn't it funny how we can get so burdened down with all of our personal stuff that we just don't feel able to really witness a lot of the time. And you know, that's the enemy trying to burden you down with so much that you cannot shine. <clears throat> Paul realizes that when he appears before the Roman emperor for his trial, he'll do so as the representative of the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is a spokesperson for the kingdom of God, and he can't wimp out when he's given his audience, especially Caesar, who was Nero. The insane, lunatic Nero. We too are ambassadors, envoys, emissaries of the kingdom of God. So Pastor Jeff, you know, I would do it if, if I knew the Bible like you do, but I don't know the Bible like you do. What if they ask me a hard question? I'm going to answer you. If they ask you a hard question, it says, don't consider ahead of time what you're going to say, for the Holy Ghost will tell you what to say on the spot. 
That's what Jesus said. Holy Ghost will tell you what to say on the spot. See, you may not know everything you wish you did, but the one inside of you knows what needs to be said. And, and, and when you get adept at talking to people about Jesus, he will tell you what to say. He'll give you an answer. We don't have to be theologians. We're witnesses. If you went out of here tonight and you saw a car wreck on the corner of Garden Acres and the service road of 35, you watched it happen right in front of you. Somebody ran the red light and somebody else was coming the other way and they slammed together and there was a terrible wreck and the cops come and they say, what did you see? You could tell them what you saw. Well, I was, I was sitting right here and this one ran the red light. The other one was coming the other way and they crashed and it was the one who ran the red light's fault. And you know what you are? When you do that, you're an effective witness. Jesus didn't call theologians. He called witnesses. He called witnesses. You know what? They want to see what you say you saw. So all you got to say is, well, you know what? I once was lost. Now I'm found. I was all torn up in sin and Jesus delivered me. I'm a witness. That's all you've got to deliver. Your witness. Your eyewitness. What happened to you? Your testimony. Everybody in here has one. We're ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Paul says to the Corinthian church, with a we that includes all of us. Look what he says. Read it with me out loud, good and loud. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God has something to say to this world. And here's what it is. It's very simple. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the appeal God has to make to the world. But he doesn't choose just to speak in an audible voice where everybody hears it. He chooses witnesses. And right there it says we. Can you say we with me? We. We are therefore. That's all inclusive. Christ's ambassadors. Now to everyone with whom our lives intersect, we are Christ's personal representatives. When we wimp out, and we've all done it, when we neglect to identify ourselves with Christ, when we remain silent to avoid ridicule or persecution, we do the one who sent us a disservice. What did he say? If you're ashamed of me in this evil and wicked generation, I'm going to be ashamed of you. But if you speak for me and stand for me, I will stand for you at the judgment. Isn't that what he said? When I look at what people are standing for these days, when I look at what they're coming out proudly and proclaiming to live in and to walk in, and they do it with a smile, and they hold their heads high, and they proudly proclaim that they're living in some kind of perversion or, or sin of one kind or another, and they do it without fear. They, they do it together. They do it boldly. I think, where are the children of God who ought to be bold for righteousness? So, Jesus said, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. What an awesome responsibility, isn't it? Awesome responsibility. So as is customary at the conclusion of nearly all of his letters now, Paul is going to move to some personal comments, and I really love these. Now, he's going to talk about one guy, and I'm going to get you to say his name with me. For years, I preached this guy's name wrong. 
verse 21 through 22, chapter 6, he starts out and he says, now here's the way I used to preach it, Tychicus. I used to say Tychicus because I was just reading it the way you would read English, Tychicus. And then after I'd been getting it wrong for years, I read one day, it's not Tychicus, it's Tychicus. So let's learn the name right. Can you say with me, Tychicus? Isn't that kind of fun? That just kind of flows right off your tongue. Tychicus. I don't know anybody named Tychicus, but what a, what a cool name, Tychicus. Some of you ladies who are yet to have children need to pray about this. Tychicus. Hey, Tyke. What's your name? Tychicus. I mean, it kind of growls, you, you know? Tychicus. Sounds like he could whoop you. Tychicus. Anyway, he says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and and what I'm doing. They didn't have emails in those days. There was no phones. There was no nothing. So you had to send somebody to tell others how you were. You had to send representatives. You had to send messengers. So Tychicus was Paul's messenger. Now, look what he said in verse 22. I am sending him to you for this purpose. Here was his purpose, that you may know how we are. I want him to tell you that your apostle and my, my team are doing well. And I want him to encourage you. So I gave Tychicus a mission. He's my messenger. He's my representative. And when he comes to you, Ephesians, he's going to tell you that we're doing great. We're doing fine. Yes, we're in all kinds of tribulation and trouble. We're persecuted. We're beaten. All these things. But we are doing well. God is good. He's taking care of us. And we, I want him to encourage you. I don't want you to be discouraged, Ephesians. So that's it. Tychicus's, boy, Tychicus's. I hadn't tried that one yet. Tychicus's mission. He commends to them Tychicus. Look what he calls him, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. Tychicus was probably from Ephesus, and he was Paul's traveling companion on several occasions. He brings not only the letter to the Ephesians, but also a personal report of how the apostle is doing to encourage the believers there. Now notice, Tychicus is not an outstanding preacher. He's not a fiery evangelist. You know what he is? He's a faithful messenger. He's faithful. Do you know what he was carrying to them? The letter to the Ephesians? How can we even equate? Was was that like a a million-dollar check he's carrying? A billion-dollar check he's carrying? A trillion-dollar check he's carrying? No, no, beyond that. Because this was the letter from the Holy Ghost to the Ephesians that billions of people would read till Jesus came. He's carrying precious cargo. Wow, what a responsibility he had. What What a... What a high honor to carry this pure spiritual gold. And and for Paul to know, man, I know God gave this to me. Here I'm dealing with all these things. This is a totally uh, church-oriented, church-driven, church 
informational, church-inspired letter, and, and, and I've got to give it to somebody I can really trust to travel all that way and safely hand it to them. Because it was gold. Gold, 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 gold. So, though he wasn't a fiery preacher or evangelist, what was he? He was a faithful messenger that <laughs> had a huge trust. He's a dear brother, Paul said, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Let me tell you something. You may not be outstanding, but you can be faithful. And you know that God has entrusted to you some true spiritual gold? Every one of you tonight have a deposit in your spirit of pure spiritual gold. You're carrying it. And, and while Tychicus was sent to the Ephesians with this letter, God has sent you to the people around you as a faithful messenger. Can he trust you? Can he trust me? Because we're carrying precious cargo. We're carrying precious cargo. Wow. You may not be outstanding, but you can be faithful and you can be one who loves and is loved. Because of what you bring to people that Jesus gave to you. Now next we come to Paul's closing benediction. And there are four words that characterize his closing benediction. And they are, can you read them with me? Peace, love, faith, and grace. Let's read the benediction. He says in 23 and 24 uh, of chapter 6, Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with what kind of love? An undying love. So there's those words. I underlined them just so you would, they'd stand out. Peace, love, faith, grace. Now, Paul began the letter, if you'll remember, in Ephesians 2.8, right there at the beginning, with grace and peace. And so he closes it. Remember what he said in Ephesians 2, 8? For by grace are you saved through faith. Right? And that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast is a gift of God. Now, as for grace, that verse that I just quoted is probably the best known verse out of Ephesians. Let's read it together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one can boast. Now, sometimes... In the church's quest for holiness, and you, if you read church history, you see this a lot uh, in the Dark Ages, in the Middle Ages. You, you see, well, really throughout history, speckled throughout history, you see the church has de-emphasized grace in favor of a kind of a shaky, brittle righteousness that's achieved by personal effort of the will. Amen. If I'm going to be righteous, bless God, I'm going to make myself righteous. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to will it. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to obey those commandments. I'm going to, I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to leave these sinful things behind. And I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to will it. And you flop. Because it's by grace you're saved through faith. And that not of you, lest anybody should boast. Now, the wonder of God's work through Jesus Christ is his fully free gift of salvation. What is it? Isn't the gospel a wonder? 
Isn't it amazing? Because any other religion, folks, I promise you, study religions. Study the cults. Any other cult, any cult or any other religion, you always have to do something to get yourself saved, to get yourself righteous, to get yourself into heaven. You have to do it. But in Christianity, it's flip-flopped. We don't have to do anything. We can't do anything. We must simply believe. And when we do, the righteousness is imputed to us. Undeserved and unlimited grace, accessed by heartfelt faith. That is Christianity, and it's amazing. If we come away with any one outstanding truth from this journey through Ephesians in 16 weeks, it should be this one. Always remember this, salvation, true salvation, the salvation that Jesus offers is all of him, and it's none of us. We have nothing to do with it. And you know why people stumble over that? Because it's in us that we think, surely i got to do something. Surely I must do something. Surely part of this depends on me. But then you realize, no, none of it depends on you. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. It's a gift from the Greek word doron. Doron means uncaused, undeserved, unmerited. We didn't cause it. We didn't do anything where God looked down and said, oh, I so appreciate what you just did. Based on what you just did, I'm going to save you. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Because you know what? When he saved you and I, we were enemies in our minds and in our works. We weren't just passive. We weren't neutral. We were enemies. So, Doron means uncaused. You didn't cause it, and you didn't deserve it, and you didn't merit it. It's a gift. Doron means present. When somebody gives you a gift under the tree, you don't open it up and say, oh, what do I have to do to fully receive this? What part do I play in this? Do I need to give you money? Do I need to give you a big kiss? Do I need to become your friend? What is it that I need to do to fully receive? And they're going to say, what are you, nuts? I gave it to you. It's a present. That's what God says. It's free. It's a present. It's a gift. If God hadn't given it freely, we would all be lost in our sins and doomed for eternity if God had not freely given it to us. Now, the hardest thing for the Western mind to grasp is that we are not called upon to do anything for our salvation, but to accept it for what it is. What's the last three words there? A free gift. Can we just thank the Lord for that gift for a second? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the free gift. Thank you for the free gift. Amen. Now, one of the three words in Paul's benediction, uh, peace, love, and faith. The word used most is love of the undying kind. Look what he said again in verse 24. Love with faith from God and love for our Lord Jesus Christ with what kind of love? Undying love. Now, that's his benediction. Uh, he, He talked about grace And then he talked about those other three words. But the main one, love, you're going to see repeated. He repeats love more than the other ones. He mentions it three times. Now, he talks about that undying kind of love. In Matthew 24, where Jesus brought his prophetic predictions of what the last days, just prior to his return, would look like, 
he spoke not about undying love, but he spoke about waning love. He talked about he spoke about dying love. He warned about it. Look what he said. He said, "Here's what's going to happen. They're going to deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another." Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will do what? Grow cold. Now, when Jesus gave this prophecy, he was talking to his disciples. He can't have been talking about the world's love because the many whose love will go grow cold isn't the love of the world because the world doesn't have love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that can't grow cold. You can't lose what you don't have. So he's not talking about the world losing their love and their love for him growing cold because they don't love Jesus. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the saints. What did he say to the Ephesian church uh, in, uh, or the Laodicean church in Revelation? He said to the Laodicean church, he said, he said you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. You're lukewarm. You've lost what you used to have. So here's Jesus warning that in the last days because of the rise of sin, rampant sin, the love of many is going to grow cold. It has always been those times in history when sin abounded and lawlessness was rampant that the heart grows lukewarm towards God. Mark that down, church. But Jesus said more than lukewarm, he said cold. For instance, the tendency to forsake the assembling of themselves together among the Hebrew Christians is where we have perhaps one instance of love waxing cold. Look at Hebrews 10.25. Let us not neglect our church meetings, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. When are we to meet more than ever? When his return is near. And when we meet, we're to encourage one another. What does that do? It keeps our love from growing cold. So you can't fellowship with a TV image. I'm on radio, and I love being on radio because I can reach a lot of people that way. But I don't want people only listening to the radio show. I want them in a church. Because we need to be one anothering one another. We, We need to be loving one another and encouraging one another and sharpening one another. You know, I've been around long enough to see many people start strong but end weak. The greatest enemy of zeal is time. The greatest enemy of enthusiasm is time. And I've seen people red hot on fire for Jesus. Man, they were there every time the doors were open, sitting on the front row, jumping, leaping, praising God, witnessing to everything that moved. And then you see them five years later, and they're cold. What happened? Well, I'm going to tell you what happened. Something in their own personal life was not kept alive. They didn't stay in prayer. They didn't stay in the Word. Or they drifted off into some kind of sin and their heart went cold. So being in the last days like we are, we can't afford to not be in church. I'm not saying this. I'm talking to the choir tonight. You're here on a rainy Wednesday night. So I know you're here. But guess what? 
There are people perhaps watching right now. You used to walk with God. You were on fire. You read the Bible every day. You prayed every day. But you haven't been in church in a year. And your heart's grown cold. And there's compromise all over your life. I'm not condemning you, but I'm telling you, you can get right. And I encourage you to do it. Repent, get into church, start encouraging other believers, get back into prayer every day because soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Amen? So over and over again in the letters of the apostles, we as God's children, God's children are encouraged to maintain our first love toward the Lord by walking closely with him. Repent quickly of any sin, keep short accounts with God, and stay firmly committed to the assembling of the saints because we're coming to the end. Now let's stand together and we're going to pray this prayer. And this is my prayer, and it's my prayer for you. And I know that it's God's desire for all of us here. So can we lift our hands towards him? And you can look right up there and pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, may my love be an undying love for the one who died for me, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me take you a bit further. Say, Lord, help me to maintain a daily devotional life time in your word, time in prayer, to keep the fire lit, the first love aflame, that I will rejoice at your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand of praise tonight. Amen. Amen.